Memorial Day today. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com, our weekly get-together to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And in order to do that, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good afternoon. I guess I should say uh, it, it is good afternoon. We're going to let, just let everybody know that we are uh, pre-recording tonight's show prior to the Reds and Indians games this afternoon because both of us had some Memorial Day uh, family activities going on uh, tonight. But nonetheless, we're here. We're going to talk baseball. And Mark, being that this is Memorial Day weekend, it's always one of the polls in baseball uh, to kind of give you a measuring stick as to what has gone on with your team and the other teams around Major League Baseball. But other than that, just any stories that you've got recollecting uh, Memorial Day during your lifetime? Well, it's interesting. The, as you know, Dave, I'm a writer, and I've been doing a couple of scripts and books of late. And, and one of them I'm writing about uh, is about a – it's called War College, and it's about a college that sprung up out in Nebraska uh, back in the 60s. Uh, and it basically was a college among, I think, 240 colleges that sprung up during the 60s that was a haven for many of the guys who wanted to avoid the draft and to go to college rather than go to Vietnam. So I'm, I'm writing this story, and, and what <clears throat> the, the, not conflict now, I think the, the points of view that that war raised as it related to the draft and men's lives and political decisions that ended up being not not the greatest. Uh, over almost 60,000 men died. And whenever I see that Vietnam War Memorial, which I have seen in person and touched and then seen names of friends of mine, I don't care what your position was about the war or any war for that matter, if you've never been to Washington, D.C., and you've never seen that memorial, as an American, you need to go. Because whether you are a hawk or a dove, it doesn't matter. 60,000 American men and women died during that conflict. And today is when those folks are, are remembered and recognized officially. But uh, I, I had friends of mine who were 18, 19 years old who were killed over there. And... Sometimes when it's not Memorial Day, we tend to forget that those lives, you know, the old saying is you're dead for a long time. And that that uh, is so unfair, you know, as you and I get into our dot age of old age. Those, those young men and women who died over there, <clears throat> it, it took away their entire lives. So on Memorial Day, I strongly suggest that if you've not been to D.C. and gone to Arlington National Cemetery or seen the Vietnam War Memorial, you need to go. Mark, I, I promise you I'm not getting political on this, but as as unfavorable as this country looked upon the Iraqi War 10 years ago, it was 10 times, maybe 100 times worse back in the 60s for the Vietnam War. Yeah, it sure was. and I was in college back then. Pardon me. And the the atmosphere in the country was so polarized. Uh, if you had long hair and you were against the war, you were, uh, you know, a commie. Uh, and if you were for the war, you were a killer. And it, it, it really took that, that those kinds of polarities. The war caused that. And just this morning, as a matter of fact, I was reading quotes from. Lyndon Johnson uh, during the Vietnam War, and most of our audience, I'm sure, doesn't remember that. Uh, but Dave's right. The, it was a hundred times worse back then uh, because we lost so many men. We lost more men in the Vietnam War than all other wars combined except the Civil War. And it, it is just a, an incredible loss of life and families. If, it, if you had 60,000 young men who died over there, think of the, of the numbers of families, family members who were impacted by that. And there was, uh, 
there was a hatred out there, one side or the other. It seemed like that you, there could be no middle ground. And that's what I remember about my college days, is all the marches and the burning your draft cards and, and storming the selective service offices and all those things. That, uh, you're right, it was a lot worse back then. Mark, and I'm not trying to make fun of either one of our ages, but, uh, you know, in World War II, there were a lot of baseball players, and we'll just stick with baseball right now, that left their teams. Ted Williams was one. Bob Feller, another one. Uh, out of the many that left their baseball teams and enlisted and went to war and fought in World War II. You know, I don't remember any baseball players or reading of any baseball players, and that's why I'm asking this question. Do you remember any that left their teams and went into the Vietnam War? No, because many of them had college deferments, uh, and that's how they got out of it. But, you know, the draft ended, I think, in, what, 73, I think. Uh, so the Vietnam War, in essence, lasted for from 64 to 73 in terms of, of, of the draft. Uh, so the, yeah, I, I don't remember baseball players of our era, but you mentioned Ted Williams. Let me remind you, Ted Williams fought in two wars. He fought in World War II and the Korean War. He was an ace pilot. He, he was a fantastic pilot. And he won medal after medal shooting down Koreans, Korean jets. And the, the guy was an incredible ball player. But look at his statistics. They hit 421 home runs. Five years of his prime were taken out of that. And, I mean, he was just an unbelievable player. And imagine, he, David, he would have broken every record that you can think of. He, he had a three forty four lifetime batting average, and and he didn't play for five of his best years. Imagine taking away Barry Bonds' five best years out of his life, what it would have had, the impact it would have had on his statistics. But Ted Williams was a real hero. And he said that the proudest day of his life was not going to the Hall of Fame, but it was, you know, being in the Marines. And uh, he, was, he was a tough dude. Well, once again, we, we hope everybody had a very, very happy Memorial Day. And as we said at the top of the show, we are recording uh, today's show, tonight's show, from earlier today. So hope you will just bear with us here today because we're not going to be able to give you the outcome of this afternoon's ball games, the Reds are in Arizona playing the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks have been in really a tailspin as of late. The Indians, though, Mark, I got my wish. Um, they are playing at home this afternoon against the Chicago White Sox. But last week was one of those weeks that you just hope for the best and expect the worst. They played the two previous World Series champions, a two-game set in Chicago at Wrigley Field, and a four-game set at home against the Houston Astros. I was hoping out of these six games, the Indians would go four and two, and thanks to a five-run bottom of the ninth inning yesterday when they were down eight to three, and a walk-off home run by Greg Allen in the bottom of the 14th inning, the Indians went four and two against the past two World Series champions. Now, I'm hoping that that's going to really start spurring this team on. Well, you knew it was there. You know, you can't look at that roster and know anything about baseball and, and really be concerned about the legitimacy of the Cleveland Indians. They're a, they're a great ball team, and they're in a, they're in a crummy division, and they're going, to, they're going to win that division even if they don't play their best. But on the other hand, you, you want them to start shifting into high gear getting that pitching rotation and the bullpen, most importantly, stabilized, and, and and getting on a roll. And it's a good time to do that now. You're getting into June, and you, you can see this team, you know, starting to rev up. And, uh, you know, I thought Ted came yesterday could be a real uh, jump start for the Cleveland Indians to come back that way against a really good team. Uh, you just hope now that – there was probably like a playoff atmosphere oh. against the Cubs and the Astros. And you know, you hope you don't have a letdown now against a, a really bad team in the Chicago White Sox. You know, out of those two teams, 
the Indians outstarting pitched both teams against the Cubs and the Astros. It's the bullpen that has really been the Achilles heel of the Indians this year. I'm going to throw some stats out at you. Out of the bullpen, including yesterday, all right, this is including yesterday for the bullpen. The Indians, since April 26th, they have a 1-8 and record out of the bullpen with a 9.26 ERA in just 70 innings. Now, yesterday, they brought Josh Tomlin in out of re- in relief in the eighth inning. He went through the, the eighth inning, one, two, three. But he is usually their fifth starter. They've put him in the bullpen and put Adam Plutko in the starting rotation up from the minors. And that's been a godsend, the way Plutko has been pitching. Then they had Cody Allen come in and pitch the ninth. He went one, two, three. They came in with Zach McAllister, and Zach McAllister showed me something yesterday that he hasn't shown me in three years, and that's a secondary pitch, which was a slider, and he went one, two, three, two consecutive innings. Dan Otero gave up a home run in the 14th inning and then ended up winning the ball game, or in the the uh, 13th inning, excuse me, gave up a home run to Evan Gaddis to fall out of the lead at that point in time, 9-8, to eight, but then Yonder Alonso, most Red fans know him, hit the very first pitch out in the bottom of the 13th inning to tie it up again at 9-9, nine, nine, and then Greg Allen had his heroics in the bottom of the 14th. Mark, this is since April 26th. They've got no hope for any bullpen help out of the minors. How long, as an organization, do you continue to tinker with this bullpen and try to find something inside your organization rather than go outside the organization and make a deal. If the Indians want to win the World Series, and they do, and they have a team that can do it, there's, I think there's one of five teams that can win a World Series this year. Uh, I, I wouldn't get that anxious at this point. Again, they're going to win their division, even with a bad bullpen. So if I was the Indians, I would try to do what they're doing. I would, I would hang in there right now until the, the the trade deadline approaches. But you don't want to get up against that deadline. You you want to act on that deadline maybe two or three weeks before the July 30th deadline. Because if you wait to the last minute, teams know you're desperate and, and you make bad deals. I think the best deals are made a couple of weeks before the, the deadline. Uh if a team wants to get rid of, say, say the Reds want to get rid of Iglesias. Well, if the Indians come calling on December 29th or the, the day of the tra- uh, trade deadline, the Reds are going to hang tough. I mean, they're going to say, okay, you give me your three best players and I'll, you know, in the minors and I'll give you Iglesias. Because the Reds know that Iglesias could take that team to the World Series and, and, and win the World Series. So they have to be strategic but they can't wait to the last minute. And I think with the, with the money they've got, with the team they have, with the players they have on the field now, that, that this is their window. And they missed their window two years ago, and I don't think that ownership is going to let it pass again. Well, the Indians are 26-25 and 25 right now as we stand this afternoon prior to the White Sox game. They're in first place by three and a half games over Detroit. They went 4-2 and two last week. Meanwhile, the Reds are 19 and 35. They went 3 and 3 last week. They're 15 games behind Milwaukee in last place. That being said, Scooter Jeanette has really been on a tear for the Reds as of late. You know, he's right now the most valuable player on that team. He may be the and most valuable player in baseball. You took the words right out of my mouth. I, I was just going to say, but he may be the best player in baseball. And the other day I saw him get five hits, and he got two more hits yesterday to give him seven consecutive hits. I think he's sitting around 335, 334. And that is – and, Dave, the thing that is impressing me, he's playing a very good second base. He's turning the double play much better. He's made two or three plays in the last week that were all-star caliber plays. I mean, just either on pop-ups or diving stops. He's quick. Uh Everybody likes him on the team. Now, if you're the Cincinnati Reds, you've got a commodity because he, he becomes a free agent after this year. And uh, do you sign him? 
Yes. Uh, do you? Okay. Absolutely. Well, the option is you don't sign him and you trade him. And what would you get for Scooter Jeanette at the trade deadline? Mark, this kid's, what is he, 27? 28. He's 28. He's from Cincinnati. He's a hometown product. He's one of the few guys, other than Joey Votto and Suarez, that you've got on that roster that can bring fans through the turnstiles into the ballpark to watch him play. I don't think there's any way you give up on this kid and trade him away for prospects. He 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 still can be in his prime by the time the Reds are good enough to make a run at the division. Yeah, by the way, his statistics right now as we speak, he's hitting 340, 10 home runs and 37 RBIs, and he's playing a great second base. So it, it, it's a... It's an amazing pickup by the Reds. You know, we get on them all the time for making mistakes in trades. But this was <laughs> – they got him off the junk heap from Milwaukee just last year. And it's it's amazing. He was, he was a 16-round pick by the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, this guy is set to make – he was 2009 a draft pick by Milwaukee. This guy has a chance to, to – I mean, would you give him a deal as, as good – or better than Suarez, which was a seven-year deal. Uh, I would, I would come very close to it. I, I really would. I, Jeanette is the kind of kid I believe, Mark, that would give you a hometown discount. I, I really think he wants to stay in Cincinnati. He wants to be a Red. But I would be very, very fair with this kid and keep him because you could solidify your second base position and your third base position. For a long time to come. And let me ask you this question. I know, as of right now, I know this is what your answer will be. But based upon the projections of what Nick Senzel was going to be as far as how good a Major League Baseball player, does he approach the stats that Scooter Jeanette is putting up right now at second base? Because that's where they were talking about moving Senzel was to second base. Yeah, there's there's no way that you that you do that. I, I think what you do is move Suarez to shortstop and put Senzel uh, uh, at third base. I mean, talk about a, a powerful hitting infield. Now, is it your best defensive infield? Probably not. But Suarez is playing a great third base, and the other thing you could do is, is put Sinzel at shortstop. And then you've got a power hitting, or a, a guy who, according to everybody who has seen this guy play, uh, is going to be a 300 hitter in the big leagues. And a shortstop like that is, is very, very valuable. But, you know, you have to decide where do you make these moves and when do you make them, because you've really got an all-star caliber third baseman now in Suarez. And you've got an all-star caliber second baseman. So the only place you could you could put him, uh, Senzel, is in at, at shortstop. Or here's the move I would make: Adam Duvall has been uncovered by major league pitching. Dave, I, I don't remember a hitter looking as bad at the plate for as long as this who had had success in the past. He is helpless at the plate right now. And I would put Sinzel in left field. I mean, he, if you can play shortstop, you sure as hell can play left field. There's oh, no yeah. question about that. Yeah. So that I think that's the answer for the Reds right now. Now, if Duvall were on a pace to hit 30 home runs again and drive in 100 runs, maybe it's a different story. But the Reds need help in the outfield, and Sinzel, to me, is an obvious choice. Mark, when you, you look at, at different players – and you, the ones that just for some reason aren't making the grade, nine times out of ten you can figure out why the longer it goes. For example, Robert Stevenson. It what was it two years ago that that uh, the manager down in Louisville came out on him and just basically said he he wouldn't try the new stuff out on the mound. So you kind of figured what was going on in the head of Robert Stevenson. Remember that. I remember. Okay. That leads me up to Brandon Finnegan. You know, Brandon Finnegan has really been an enigma. You couldn't figure out why he came so highly regarded from Kansas City in that deal. But they sent him down to AAA to work on a few things, 
And Finnegan finally opened up his mouth to the Cincinnati Inquirer over the last few days because he was demoted when Matt Harvey was acquired from the Mets. Now, here's what Finnegan had to say. He said, I felt like I had two pretty good starts up here in Cincinnati. And he said, you can't do anything about getting taken out of the game after 70 pitches. Manager Jim Riggleman loves using the bullpen. That's his thing. That part was out of my hands. Finnegan went on to say, besides that, two of my five starts I had, I thought were pretty good. I were attacking guys. Now, if you look at what Finnegan did, here's a, here were the numbers. He was 0-3 with a 7.40 ERA and five starts. In 20 and two-thirds innings, he gave up 20 runs. 17 of them were earned on 27 hits, 15 walks, 14 strikeouts, and five home runs. There were also diminished velocity problems. According to StatCast, he was averaging about 91 miles per hour on his fastball. Mark, I think we've figured out what's wrong with Brandon Finnegan. It's in his head. Well, I don't think it's necessarily in his head. I think he has not yet come back from two shoulder surgeries last year. Don't forget that was last year. Two surgeries, one on each arm. And you don't come back. Your body doesn't react that quickly to allow you to go out and pitch in a Major League Baseball game. You can you can have a normal life if you're not throw, trying to throw a baseball 95 miles an hour. But it takes longer than that uh, to get back. The same with Homer Bailey. Uh, this guy w- was a pincushion the last four or five years with all the surgeries. He's not come back yet. And then again, you know, I, I think I think looking at his numbers down in Louisville, he's given up six runs over and ten hits over nine innings with three walks and eleven strikeouts. You know, that that's not awful, uh, but ten hits and three walks that gives you a pretty high uh, whiff uh, a whip rating. So he, he has he has not gone down yet and pitched well enough to give himself the the latitude to badmouth the manager at the big league level. That's my point. There, That's my point. If you go down there and pitch, uh, you know, a shutout and a, a two-hitter, uh, yeah, hey, man, I'm ready to go. Why am I up, not up there? But when you go down there and get get lit up in the minor leagues, uh, that's no time to talk. And here's the other thing. This was a Cincinnati Inquirer news story. Now, you and I both know that the Inquirer is not going to send somebody to Louisville to go talk to Brandon Finnegan about his thoughts on why the Reds demoted him. There was a reason why somebody reached out to him or Finnegan reached out to the Cincinnati Inquirer. And quite honestly, I I believe the latter. Well, at this point, it's probably better to get rid of the guy, trade him. Maybe you can get something for him because he is a left-hand pitcher. But the the article that can that concerned me even more is what happened with Anthony Discopani. Last week he pitched great in, in a five-inning stint, and this time he came up. Uh, he pitched over five. He pitched five innings, gave up six earned runs, gave up eight hits, uh, eight strikeouts, and, but gave up three home runs. So this is a guy that a week ago was supposed to be ready to come back up and help this team. Uh, not so much. So these two guys have been just unbelievable disappointments to the Reds because of injuries. And it gets back to what we've talked about time and time again. What kind of training, what kind of, of weightlifting programs are these guys going on? Are they lifting themselves out of baseball? And I, and I think another guy that falls in that category, and I, I will predict he's going to be hurt again this year, is Michael Lorenzen. You know, he looks like he, he he's a weightlifter, a big-time weightlifter, which is great. It makes you look good in front of your girlfriend. But when you get that muscle bound, uh, you, your muscles will pull. They will tear. It hurts the, the joints. And I just wonder what's going through the, the minds of the training staff to allow these guys to overlift like that. And then you've got Rossiel Iglesias, who lands himself on the 10-day disabled list for a sore arm, his left arm. Now, for those of you who don't know for sure, he's a righty. But for some reason, he lands on the DL with a sore left arm. 
Mark, you know, I, I, that, that's taken this from, from the ridiculous to the sublime, unless the Reds are working on a deal and they just don't want to take a, sh- take a chance. Well, it, it could be the latter. Um, but, but again, whoever picks up Iglesias, I can guarantee you it's going to be one of the top five teams in baseball. Because, again, I believe he's a game changer. You're not going to trade Iglesias to even the Minnesota Twins or, or somebody like that. This has to be a team that is almost assured to get into the playoffs, assured to get past the first round, and they're looking for the World Series. And I think it's going to be Cleveland, Chicago White, or the Chicago Cubs. Now, don't discount the Cubs as somebody on that list. Uh, the New York Yankees. The Houston Astros, even with their great pitching staff, I mean, they witnessed yesterday their bullpen had some holes in it yesterday. And I, mean, I guess, can you, on the on the fifth team, I'm up in the air. It could be in Arizona. It could be uh, the Colorado Rockies because they're in contention. It could be the Giants. But I think one of those top four teams, and maybe the Boston Red Sox. I think they're in there too. That that need a guy like Iglesias and would be prepared and that's prepared, but able that they have the talent that the Reds would want to make a deal. Mark, I want to talk about the Indians pitching coach, Carl Willis. You know, a lot of people are coming down hard on Willis because of the bullpen woes that the Indians have. Willis took over for Mickey Calloway, who was the Indians pitching coach for several years before he took over the managerial post with the New York Mets. Now, Mark, I've never been a big fan of Carl Willis, but that being said, he hasn't done anything to screw up the starting pitching. But a lot of people feel that he's the problem with the bullpen. These are the same people that thought Brian Shaw was a hindrance to the Indians because he would pitch 70, 80, 90 innings a year and all they wanted to do was look at his one loss record, which was normally one and five, one and six, but his ERA was normally under two and a half as a relief pitcher. He was very, very um, uh, predictable as far as and reliable coming into the ball game in the sixth or seventh inning to help the Indians bridge the gap to Miller and and uh, 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 Cody Allen. But now they don't have that guy. They don't have a couple of guys that they can string a couple of innings together to get to Miller and to Allen. I don't see, Mark, how you can blame the pitching coach for one facet of your pitching staff and not another. I don't care how good the coaches are, uh, how good the manager is. When Jim Ruggleman puts... Um, Adam Duvall in left field, expecting him to play and expect him to hit and produce. He's not. That's not Ruggleman's fault. So whether it's the Indians' bullpen, it's the Reds' outfield, it's whatever is the failure of a particular team, it comes down to players not performing. Now, if your bullpen was pitching very well, of course the pitching coach uh, wouldn't get much credit because the pitchers are doing great. If things go bad, they gotta, they gotta blame somebody. And I think the managers in baseball more than any other sport, frankly, uh, get too much credit when the team wins and not enough, and too much blame when they lose. Uh, baseball is not that tough. And, you know, the top, I think you could put a blanket over the top ten managers in baseball pulling out a hat and that you get the same performance on a team. It, it's, it's not the coach's fault that your bullpen is not producing. Yeah, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but then how come the Reds are playing so much better baseball under Riggleman than they did Price? Well, don't forget they had injuries at the beginning of the year in their offense. And, uh, you know, they Scooter Jeanette was hurt for a while. Suarez had a broken hand. Um, up and down the lineup, they had inconsistency. But I tell you what's hurting the Reds, Badly right now is Joey Votto. Joey Votto is not performing. Uh, he's sitting in the two seventies. He, he has six home runs. Uh, he's third or fourth in the team in RBIs now. And you've got Scooter Jeanette now hitting behind him, and he's getting the pitches. But he, Dave, his approach this year, to me, has changed dramatically. He's he's not nearly as patient as he was the last few years. He's swinging at first pitches a lot. 
but that may be because he, because of his reputation of walking all the time, pitchers say, well, look, I don't want to walk this guy, so they throw a lot of first-pitch strikes, and, and maybe that'll, that, that'll turn around. But, but Joey is not performing, and you know I'm a big fan of Joey Votto, but, you know, the facts are the facts. And between he and Adam Duvall and Billy Hamilton, my, my favorite great <laughs> offensive or a great defensive non-existent offensive player, uh, and even Scott Schebler. I mean, he's sitting in the 240s. You, you, you can't win that way. You, you, you just can't. And that's unfortunate that the Reds uh, just don't have the production right now. From you know, Votto, actually his batting average is 285, higher than I thought. Uh, he's got 24 RBIs and six home runs. And so he's, he's not you know pounding the ball like he has. I think last year at this time he had 12 or 13 home runs. But in fairness, uh, he's he, up until Jeanette, they haven't had anybody uh, behind him. But the, the guy I'd like to see get a chance on my field is Brandon Dixon, the kid they brought up this week. Uh, he's sitting 300. He's only had 10 at-bats. He got three hits the other day. But he has a good swing. And what do you have to lose by replacing uh, Adam Duvall? I mean, it's... It's unfortunate, but he is just, he's hitting 177, Dave. 177. We're going into June. And what is, you know, he is just, as I said, right now, he's helpless at the plate. You see, he has, uh, he's had 164 at bats, and he struck out uh, 50 times. That's a third of the time he's striking out. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, I mean, how bad could this Dixon kid play in left field? You're not going anywhere this year. And the other thing about uh, Duvall is on base percentage is 273. He's not walking. Uh, he, he he has 24 RBIs, which isn't bad. The same with Votto. But he leaves so many guys on base. He, he should have 40, 45 RBIs, and he doesn't. <laughs> You know, the craziest thing that happened yesterday in that ball game between the Indians and the Astros was when Jose Ramirez led off the bottom of the ninth inning. Mark, I don't know if you heard about this, but he had a 17-pitch at bat against Houston's closer, Ken Giles. And in that 17-pitch at bat, he fouled off 11 straight pitches and then finally lined a double down the right field line. That's what got it, got that five-run comeback by the Indians started. What's the craziest at bat you've ever seen? Well, that has to rank. I, I think uh, I saw it on, on the internet. It was a Dodger. I, I forgot his, um I think it was a 21 pitch at bat. And on the 21st pitch, he hit a home run. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago. It was, uh, you know, eight or ten years ago, I think. It's it's on the internet if you if you Google it. Longest at bat, and it, it, it went on forever. And uh, so, yeah, but that nothing irritates a pitcher more than that kind of at bat. But you don't want to give in, so you keep. And you wonder that there were some players, you know. Remember a guy named Richie Ashburn? Yes. Played for the Phillies. Yep. Well, the rumor was that Richie Ashburn could foul off as many pitches as he wanted. He, you know, he had that kind of bat control, and he would just, uh, you know, tick the pitchers off. And uh, so uh, he would wear pitchers out. So rather than face him, they'd hit him. They still, you know, throw at him. <laughs> Hell with him. Let's get him on base, get it over with. But if you got a second, I want to tell you a Richie Ashburn anecdote. Okay. This happened back in the, in, in the early 1950s. And they were playing at, uh, at uh, Connie Mack Stadium. And Richie Ashburn hit a foul ball down the left field line, and it hit a woman in the head. Now, that's not funny. She survived, but it hit her in the head. But they stopped the game, and they brought in uh, the, the medical team, and they put her on a stretcher, and they were wheeling her out of the, the stadium. through. There was a door in the left field. On the next pitch, before they got her out of the stadium, Richie Ashburn fouled off another ball and hit her again on the way out. Oh, my gosh. 
And people to this day, they say, he did it on purpose. I don't believe he did. <laughs> I don't believe he did. Uh, but uh, that's that's my favorite Richie Ashburn story. Well, it was uh, Friday night, I believe. Michael Brantley hit a home run to dead center field at Progressive Field. And there was this guy just having a beer, lollygagging around out in the patio, out in center field, and the ball hit him right upside the head, Mark. Jeez. Now, I mean, can you blame the guy? He didn't drop his beer, did he? Uh, yeah, he did, yeah. As oh, a matter of God. fact, yeah. Um, but, I mean, can you blame the guy? You're out in center field. You're 20 feet behind <laughs> the center field wall. What's the last thing you expect? <laughs> a baseball to careen off your skull. And on the other hand, you come to a baseball game to watch the game, presumably. True. How could you? Uh, you know, baseball takes a long time to get to center field. It's like you didn't see it. You can't move. <laughs> Are you so concerned about your beer that you'd rather get hit in the head? I mean, you have to defend baseball a little bit. But, you know, we, we laugh about this. But, you know, a few years ago, a guy died uh, down in Texas. Yeah. Uh, reaching for a ball, falling over the fence and, and getting killed. People get hurt at baseball games. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that baseball is finally putting up these screens. I, I've been talking about that for years extending beyond the backstop down the respective lines, first and third, because these balls are coming into the the, the stadium seats at 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. And you get hit in the head at a, with a 100-mile-an-hour baseball, with a baseball, if you're a young kid or even a female or a man, you, you can die. And baseball, I'm glad they're, they're finally acting on this. You know, I, I'm still telling everybody that Kevin Cash down in Tampa Bay is listening to our show because he's taking your recommendation over starting his relievers. Well, I think my genius is finally being recognized, David, uh, because of the show, and uh, I'm really glad to see baseball's finally listening to us and and that we can provide guidance to them. So uh, let's... We should expand our show to two hours. Baseball would benefit from it. You know, and someday your salary will remunerate uh, according to your experience and your know-how. Yeah, by the way, my agent will be calling you. <laughs> I do expect my salary to be doubled next year because of what you just said, of baseball listening to me, so be prepared, pal. All right. Hey, the 2018 draft is going to take place on June 4th through 6th. Now, the reason I bring that up is because every year the Cleveland Browns fans are looking towards the NFL draft much like the Cincinnati Red fans are looking towards the Major League Baseball draft, which is coming up this weekend. Now, it's going to be on the Major League Baseball Network and on MLB.com. That's going to start next Monday night at 6 p.m., so when we're on the air, we'll be able to talk about who it is that the Reds are going to pick. Um, after picking number two overall the past two years, the Reds are actually picking fifth this year in the 2018 Major League Baseball draft. Any thoughts, Mark? Have you heard anything, any any rumors, any names that are out there that the Reds might be interested in? Yeah, there's a, a second baseman who apparently is the best bat in baseball, and I don't have his name in front of me right now, but uh, he's supposed to be, he can play short and, and second, but he's the best hitter in baseball. And it'll be interesting to see what the Reds do because – uh, their their draft and just in preparation of that discussion today, I didn't know you were going to bring it up, but I want to go back and look uh, just the recent draft picks from the Reds. And you tell me oh. your evaluation. 2017, I think we can agree, Hunter Green is unproven. I mean, he could have great statistics or bad statistics. He's only 18 years old. It's going to take another two or three years before we know if this kid's any good or not. But we'll, we'll leave that undecided at this point. Nick Senzel in 2016, number two pick overall in the draft. Uh, he's, last I saw, he's hitting 270. He was on the DL. Uh, I, I don't, I've said this before. I don't see it, but I, I don't see the superstarness in him that others are predicting, but I could be wrong. I hope I am, but I, I don't see this guy leading us to the promised land. In 2015, it was Tyler Stevenson, a catcher. He's still in double-A. I think he has some good physical tools. Uh, he, he's not tearing it up right now. So those are the last three years. And then you go back a little further. 
2014. Remember, I'm sure you see he's on the tip of your tongue, Nick Howard. Uh-huh. Number one pick. Matter of fact, he was, and the reason the, the, of that is is because I'm staring at an article right now that talks about Nick Howard and Nick Traviasso. Well, th- those are two names that have been big busts so far because of injury. Now, could they come back someday? Yeah. But have they been flops so far? Yeah. Uh, 2013, you had Philip Urban. He's still in AAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been a role player at best. Perhaps the biggest failure so far for the Reds uh, over the last uh, seven or eight years has been Robert Stevenson. David, he was a 2011 draft. It's been seven years, and the guy is getting lit up in AAA. That was a mistake. Apparently, Travieso was a mistake. Nick Howard was a mistake. Uh, Philip Urban, he's a role player at best. Now, let's go back a little further, though. And this, the reason I bring this up is we've been talking about administrations and different ownerships and, and different responsibilities. If you bring up the name that I think you're going to bring up, you and I are on the same wavelength. Okay. 2010, Yasmani Grandel. Okay. The Reds had a chance. He's starting for the Dodgers, or at least he was two weeks ago. Starting catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Reds had to make a decision between he and Mesoraco, and they kept Mesoraco. 2009, Brad Boxberger. He's a closer for somebody. Now, I forgot who it is, uh, but the Reds had him. 2008, Mike Leak. He's still starting for the Cardinals. 2007. Actually, he's with buddy. Seattle now. He's okay. Uh, 2007, your guy, Yonder Alonso, with the Cleveland Indians. And that same draft, they got Todd Frazier. Now, one, two, three, four, five, five players from 2007, 2010 are still playing in Major League Baseball and producing and, and playing on winning teams, except, I guess, Seattle. But in the last, from 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, only one of those players has even got a taste of the big leagues. And that's Stevenson, and he's been an absolute bust. And what is the problem? The senior director of amateur scouting, Chris Buckley. Now, you're going to oh. sit there. Now, I know you've probably heard the name, but most of the fans out there have no idea who Chris Buckley is. I'm telling you, he's the senior director of amateur scouting, and he has been since, well, the last – 13 years, Mark. It's the 13th year of him leading the Reds scouting heading into the draft, and he also oversees the signing of the players once they are selected. Well, when you have Robert Stevenson, Travioso, Irvin, Howard, Tyler Stevenson, Stevenson, Stevens, I'm sorry, the catcher, Sinzel and, and Green, none of whom have had any impact on the big league roster at all, other than in a negative sense, and that's Robert Stevenson. Something is wrong, Dave. You you can't you can't miss that many. And then the organizationally, you have Grandal, Boxberger, Leake, Alonso, and Frazier, and they're all gone. Yeah. So you have nothing to show, in essence, other than the players you got back in those trades uh, for those those players I mentioned. And I can't think of one player the Reds have back in that trade that's playing for the team today. Yeah, it, it, it's an absolute disaster what has happened with their draft over the last, well, I mean, you might as well sit the last 13 years. Is Chris Buckley the problem? I don't know. But the buck, pardon the pun, stops there because he is the senior director of amateur scouting. Now, he. No, I disagree. Wait a minute. I disagree with that. Buckley is not the ultimate problem. It's who Buckley reports to is the ultimate problem. They have allowed this guy to handle this draft over the last 13 years. How many years in a row do you have to whiff, strike out, as it were, before you realize, hey, we're doing something wrong? We're evaluating the wrong talent. Who is the last successful Cincinnati draft pick to make it to the major leagues? Well, the, the ones I mentioned, you know, Mike Leake, Boxberger, Mandel, 
Alonzo, those guys, Frazier, those guys have been uh, very good players. But when you have an organization that, number one, drafts poorly and, and, and doesn't get the right player, or if they do draft well, they trade those players or make wrong decisions. The Mezzarocco uh, versus Grandal. Grandal was a switch-hitting catcher who always hit, and they kept a guy who was injury-prone and is now with the Mets. So that that's an organizational mistake. And they had so many of these. Uh, and the trades just that they make, they don't yield players that grow an organization like Houston grew, like the trades Boston made uh, to, to get bring, bring in some great young talent. Uh, the Reds haven't done that. And when you're a, a small market team, you can't screw up like this. But your point about uh, Buckley being there for 13 years, the buck does not stop with him. It stops with the general managers. But it's the GM that is taking his recommendation as to who to draft. But on the other hand, Buckley is also taking the recommendation of the reports that he reads over from his own scouting staff. That, that's true. I, I know, but that that is an organizational failure. You, you can't hang yeah. it on one guy, but it stops with the general manager. And you've mentioned this before with Walt Jockety. The decisions he's, he, he made over a long period of time, I mean, some of this, like Suarez, was a great deal. We, you got Suarez for Alfredo Simon, great deal, kudos to the GM. But we haven't had enough of those. We've had many more deals like Robert Stevenson. And how long, you and I have been on the air, this is what, our eighth year? Yeah. And, and we've been talking about Robert Stevenson for eight years. Yeah. And, you know, for seven and this is the first year, Mark, where nobody really in Cincinnati is even bringing up the name. Oh, no. He's, he's done. Yeah. They, the guy is done. He, he's toast. He, 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 yeah. he will be sent somewhere, and maybe that's what he needs is a change of, change of scenery. Well, it's unfortunate, but, you know, he, he's had a, a history of being obstreperous, I think it's the term, uh, he's hard to, to to manage, and yet the Reds continue to hold on of, to him. And the, 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 what the Reds had the fifth pick this year, I have no hope. I have no hope that they're going to sign somebody who's going to help this team in the next three or four years. Now, I, what I hope they do is sign a college player, not a high school player. A college player ready to go, and typically college players are less money. Uh, and, but somebody who can who can help them in the next two or three years, not six, seven years out. Well, being that this is Memorial Day weekend, of course, this is one of the uh, testing periods. Two months are now passed in the Major League Baseball season, and we've got another four months to go. But there's a lot going on. I'm going to throw some some uh, Pete, some names at you, Mark, some ideas as far as MLB is concerned, and we'll get an opportunity to comment on these two. On, on not just two, but there's there's several of them here I want to bring up. First of all, uh, the Cubs, you Darvish. Surprise, surprise, he's on the DL again. Yeah, uh, he pitched pretty well against the Reds last week when the Reds played the Cubs. Uh, but he, did, he doesn't have that life on the fastball he had several years ago. And that's what I mean about the Cubs having – I mean, they signed this guy to, what, a six-year deal? Yeah. They're going to be stuck with that contract for a long time. Long time. And it's, it's, it's not, they're going to have to go outside, but they got the money to do it. That's the difference. How about the Boston Red Sox on Saturday releasing Hanley Ramirez? Is he done? Don't you think that's overdue? I, I mean, this, you know, actually a couple of years ago he had a pretty good season. They had him, they had him entrenched at first base. Um, he had a pretty decent year when he played under John Farrell. And, boy, they, they, you know, for some whatever reason, he just fell off the deep end. I don't know if it was age or, or what has happened to him. But, nonetheless, boy, he just doesn't seem to be able to catch up with the fastball anymore. Well, you know, it's you never can judge somebody from a distance. And I've only seen him play. I saw him play a couple of live games, but I only saw him play on TV, really. But he always looked like he was lagging it. He was he was hot dogging it, 
and never putting out as he should. And, and again, that's a perception that could be wrong, but that's what it looked like. And when, when you have that perception, teams get rid of you. And when he came up with the Marlins, this guy was touted, you know, Hall of Fame material. He was a, a power hitting shortstop with a great arm and he had a, a two or three very good years and that got him, you know, a lot of money, but he's never lived up to the hype that no. he came up with the Marlins. No. Another guy that has never seemed like he was lagging but always had a weight problem was Pablo Sandoval. He's back with the Giants, in case anybody was wondering. And I noticed yesterday, or not yesterday, but Saturday, Mark, he was playing second base for the Giants. Well, you know, he's lost a lot of weight. Oh, he's, he's yeah. Lost. He has lost that much weight, but he, he, I, I thought he dropped 30 pounds, but he could, he could drop another 30. Uh, he, <laughs> who was the, who was the guy for the Reds that looked like him? Outfielder, uh, switch hitter, I don't think of his name in a minute, but he played back, uh, in the early 2000s. Shinsu Chu? Uh, no, heavy set guy. Um, uh, black guy. Um, Darn, I can't think of his name now. Boy. But he had the same body type as um, okay, Sandoval. Sandoval, yeah. So I'll think of it in a minute. His name escapes me right now. But yeah, anyway, was... guys can't eat themselves out of the league, and Sandoval almost did. Yeah, and then he lost weight and went back oh. to the Giants, and now he, he he's he's a utility man for the Giants, and and uh, is playing second base just on a one you know just one day, but. Yeah, he was at second base. Mark, another story, the Yankees need starting pitching, and the rumor is is that they are interested in Cole Hamels of the Rangers. No, I don't blame him. I think he could really help that team. And uh, the Yankees are one of those teams that, that they're, if they stay close between now and, and the trade deadline, you've got to believe they're going to go out there and, and, and make some make some noise. So they're one of those handful of teams that are never really out of it. Uh, but at the same time, they're in a pretty tough division. You know, Boston uh, is probably the class of that division overall uh, by the end of the year. But uh, Yankees are going to go out and get what they need. You know, here's the one that I, 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 I can't figure this one out. Manny Machado has won it out of Baltimore now for – well, since the beginning of the season, actually since the beginning of the off season, he's wanted to be traded out of Baltimore. This is the last year of his contract. He'll be a free agent at the end of the year. I understand why the Los Angeles Dodgers would like to have him. Their shortstop has gone down, and he would move into that lineup with the Dodgers and play shortstop, and it would work like just just great. But the other team that you're hearing so much rumor about. Him going there are the Cubs. Why would the Cubs, when they've got Bryant at third and Russell at short, why in the world would they want Machado? Well, Machado could play anywhere, and and you know they're, they they would trade their current shortstop and put Machado in there. It gives them some some room to roam. Uh, they have a enough money, and I tell you, I, I hope. Machado goes anywhere except to the Cubs or the Cardinals, but I think those are the most logical places for him to go, and that's going to hurt the Reds. So uh, who, who knows what's going to happen, but Machado, he, he, he's a great player, and I wish the Reds could get him. So you're saying that Machado, if, if he goes to the Cubs and the Cubs go ahead and trade Russell, that they would sign Machado long-term? Yes. All right. Do. Now, would you be interested in Russell with the Reds? Uh, I don't know where you put him, especially when you got Sinzel. Shortstop. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Would yeah, you? I would. Would you trade Iglesias but, for him? Yeah, I would. You know, they might make that deal. I'm a big believer in, in doing what the Cubs did. When the Cubs built that team, they went out and got the best eight players they could, and then they went out and 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 bought pitching. Rather than invest in pitching that way, they invested later when mm -hmm. the guys were, were proven entities. And to a large extent, Houston did the same thing. Now, Houston had some good pitchers, too, but the eight players you start every day for Houston, they're really good. Those guys are really good. And they play 155, 160 games a year. 
you can always go out and buy the pitching. It's out there. Uh, free agents are there. You can get them. In, you can get them in trades later on when they're established, and that, that's what they did. So, um, yeah, I'm all for the Reds building up, you know, a, an eight-man wrecking crew, and then going out and getting the, the, the kind of pitching that you need to win. Okay. Now, as we approach the trade deadline, which is two months away, July 31st, who on the Reds is most likely to be dealt by the trade deadline? Homer Bailey. This is multiple choice, okay, Mark? Homer Bailey, Matt Harvey, both or neither? I'd say Matt Harvey. Why? Because I think he has a much much better upside than does Homer Bailey. I think Homer Bailey, David, his his ball has no movement on it. He can still throw at 95, 96 miles an hour when he wants to, which isn't very often, but he can. His ball is straight as a die. And, you know, I, I think the Dark Knight is, he's a better pitcher than Bailey. And to me, he's, he gave up three runs the other day in the first inning, but aside from that, he, he pitched pretty well. And if he continues to go out there, I think t- teams are more likely to take a chance on him. Number one, it would be cheaper uh, than trying to get Bailey's contract. But I, unless you're seeing something I haven't seen, uh, Homer Bailey, to me, doesn't have major league stuff right now. No, I, I agree with you. And, and I don't even think he would benefit by being put into the bullpen anymore. No, I think he doesn't throw hard enough anymore. No. If he does, he doesn't. The ball has no movement. And before my brain loses it again, uh, the player I was thinking of was Dimitri Young. Remember him? Okay, yeah, I do remember him. He does have the same body type as Sandoval. He does, he does. Final question of this Memorial Day uh, episode of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, Mark. I heard an interesting question the other day from one of the announcers. I don't remember if it was the Houston announcers or the Cubs announcers, but... Of these three records in Major League Baseball, which one is most likely to be broken? All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Pete's hit record, Nolan Ryan's strikeout record, or Cal Ripken's consecutive playing game streak? Which one is least likely to be broken? Um, Least likely to be broken... Is the is the um, continue of consecutive games? Consecutive games. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. I, I don't see anybody that is going to play in this year that many games. Was it twenty three hundred games or twenty two hundred games? Something yeah. like that. That's I, I, that's just not going to happen anymore. See, I think Nolan Ryan's got over five thousand strikeouts. I, yeah, I, and again, these are all records that are based on longevity. I mean, I think, you know, you could have a guy get Pete's record, uh, but he's going to have to do it in fewer years. Right. And, you know, I, I just don't see anybody on the horizon out there other than the, you know, the second baseman for the Astros um, having that kind of longevity in baseball to uh, to, to, to do that. Boy, what Al- do you think? Altuve is really some. I think it's the strikeout record. I think somebody could really... If they could talk the organization into it, I think somebody could break Cal Ripken's record. Uh, if they could talk the organization into it, um, I, I don't. I don't see that. But and the, Dave on the strikeout record, the starting pitchers aren't going more than six innings anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think it's it's the least likeliest one to be broken. Yeah, that that's that's. I thought that was an interesting question, Mark. What do the Reds have coming up? I know. They were in Arizona today. What do they got coming up the rest of the week? Dave, look, I told you, I do not look ahead with this team. <laughs> I, 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 I can't do it. It's depressing. And uh, in terms of their their chances of winning any of these games, I, I'm right now. I'm I'm down. I'm a, I'm a pessimist. And unless they win two or three games in a row, I don't want to know who they're playing. Well, I'm going to tell you who they're playing. They're playing. I Ari- knew you would. They're playing Arizona through Wednesday. And then they go to San Diego for a weekend tilt with the Padres. As far as the Indians are concerned, 
They are at home for the next three days to take on the Chicago White Sox, and then they go to Minnesota for a four-game set with the Twins on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll talk about it all next Monday night. Talk to you then, Mark. All right, Dave. Have a happy Memorial Day. Same to you, buddy. That's going to do it for tonight's program. Thanks a lot for joining us here tonight. Next week, we're going to have a special guest, and it will be one of the College of Worcester Division Three baseball team. Either Nick Strasbaugh or Aaron Spidell will be our guest on next Monday night show. Until then, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody, and happy Memorial Day.